Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number five. This week, hundreds of Fortune 500 companies are evaluating Windows Phone. Lots of announcements from this year's Tech Head, and we talk about ASP.NET V Next. Hello, Carl. What a beautiful day for a podcast, huh? It is beautiful today, even in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's the weather is finally getting good out here. It's a it's a nice sunny day, and we got to be stuck inside uh, doing the podcast, but happy to do it. Absolutely. So. For anybody who's been following the Twitter feed, we've been working on getting new stickers printed up. So we have stickers that say MS Dev Show. We got this new arcade type logo. You can see a variation of that logo out on the website. And as well as the Twitter page, we've customized with it as well. Yep. So we're we're just we're basically pushing out new branding across everything. So if anybody wants to get their hands on one of these new stickers right now, I only, I ordered 50 of them just to make sure that the sizing was good and I'm pretty happy with how they turned out. And if, uh, if you're interested in getting one of these and, uh, if if we get a lot of requests for this, we'll have to, uh, take them out in the next batch. But if you could retweet something from the at MS dev show, Twitter account, and then just send us an email at uh, feedback at msdevshow.com and give us your address. Um, as long as you're a U.S. resident, resident, just because it it can be difficult sending uh, sending things outside of the the country in certain cases. Um, we'll go ahead and and send you uh, send you out one of the new stickers. So check out you know check out the Twitter feed and you'll see what what the sticker looks like. And if you want to get your hands on one of those, and I have uh, there's a there's two different designs. So what I might do is just throw both of those designs in there so that there's so that everybody has a choice in what they want. So this week um, we have uh, let, let's get let's jump into the news. So Carl, you have some mobile news for us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this week, uh, Windows Phone 8.1 Developer Preview. Uh, uh, people who have that installed got a an update uh, mm-hmm. to Windows Phone 8.1. Now they were a little bit uh, sketchy on the exact details of what happened or what what this all includes. But they did mention that includes a lot of bug fixes and battery improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have confirmed that um, the battery improvements are real. So sometimes it's a little bit um, more difficult to quantify that, but there are a slew of good battery apps out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have uh, confirmed that the battery is about what it was. Well, I, it looked like some people had a real problem with battery life. Did you have um, any issues with yours? I have had terrible battery uh problems um at first um i usually chalk it up to you know you got a new phone you're using it a lot more you're using Mm -hmm. a lot more features but even after that first couple of weeks went away i was still noticing that i couldn't make it through a full day with battery charge yeah and in fact it got so bad i bought a an external battery as well okay so yeah Yeah. the the battery improvements are 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 pretty substantial Mm -hmm. and uh, uh they said like they said there are some bug fixes in there as well so it's exciting to see uh them making a, a lot bigger, quicker cadence to these updates as well. Something that we haven't seen from them in the past. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that was really quick. Now, I didn't experience any battery issues, so I can't really tell if it's improved or not. Well, um, you also I'm, have a ginormous battery in your yeah, phone. I'm actually convinced that the 1520 has some kind of nuclear reactor in it, but I, I haven't uh, I haven't gotten confirmation from anybody on that. Yeah. So um, that pretty much covers all that we know about uh these updates at the time at this time. But, uh, for those of you who, uh, have the developer preview, but haven't seen these updates, go into your settings and check for updates manually. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it'll already be downloaded. You just have to activate it. Okay. Does this one require Wi-Fi? Do you know, or will this one download over cellular? I do not know. Mine had all auto downloaded already. So I'm assuming that all happened on Wi-Fi, but Okay, because I was I was traveling and I was not on Wi-Fi, and I I think it gave me the option to download it. So I think even if you're even if you're out and about, it'll give you an option for that. Yep. Have you noticed um, the the podcast app in eight one uh, using up a lot of data on your phone? Have you been watching that at all? Um, it does. I have it explicitly enabled. There is an option in there for you to flick if it can do it over Wi-Fi only or sell as well. Right. And there have been times I've switched it to Wi-Fi only um, because last month I did get pretty close to my limit. Yeah, I think I might have to do that on mine. Mine's been, mine's been burning through a lot of data because I've been traveling quite a bit. Yeah, one of the things that people had previously complained about is the, pod, the previous uh, podcast experience was limited to checking when it felt like, which was once in the middle of the night. Right. Now, yeah. a lot of podcasts don't push out 
uh, then. And when people find out there's a new episode, they're pretty excited. Mm -hmm. So one of the new improvements in this podcast app is it checks uh, constantly, mm -hmm. including whenever you open the app, it'll it'll check again. Yeah, I heard if it if it sits around for a while, I think it I think it'll go down to like every six hours. But the the problem with like you said with the previous podcast app was that it, it would not there was no way to force it to check. You could there were some tricks to go in there to get it to force it to check. But every time you open this one, it it, it forces it. So basically, you know, while you're charging it at night, it's going to download them. And then throughout the day, as you open that and listen to podcasts, you're automatically going to get those. So yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, been out of date with my podcasts at all since I've gotten this new one. Yeah. And in addition, you can go to an individual feed and um, bring up the menu and it'll allow you to manually refresh uh, a specific one individually as well. Okay. That's good to know. Yep. Uh, the next big thing that was announced this week is Microsoft said that there's hundreds of Fortune 500 companies are currently testing uh, Windows 8.1 uh, devices. Wow. Now, uh, yeah, this is this is pretty uh, big news because if even a, you know, a good portion of them uh, start uh, supporting Windows Phone, that's going to be a huge uptick into uh, the usage of Windows or the percentage share that Windows Phone is compared to what it is now. Because right now it's somewhere between, mm -hmm. you know, three and four percent, depending upon who's measuring. Okay. Now, are now, these, these are, so these are enterprise, would you say that these enterprises typically are, are handing out devices to their employees? Is that, is that how this is working? Now, it, it's not saying exactly what's going on in these cases. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that there's some corporations that do push out uh, phones uh, to some and some run more of a bring your own device kind of environment. Mm -hmm. But they said that uh, there's a few key features that Windows Phone has that is enticing to Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. um, the management tools are one of them. Uh, there's so many more ways, so many more easy ways that the management tools can uh, uh support and and dictate what can be done with the phones mm -hmm. compared to android and iphone um yeah like that's sort saw, of yeah that's pretty low-hanging fruit to be honest with you because it, it i know historically with ios at least it's been it's been pretty terrible and i suspect it's been the same on android yeah uh one of the things that they uh showed in build that i thought was pretty cool is with the vpn support on there when you're vpn uh, the company can disable like games that it doesn't want you playing when you're supposed to be quote at work. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff like that that's built in that you, I don't know of any equivalent features on the other platforms. Okay. The, they said the other thing, which is even bigger than that uh, reason that would entice uh, these large companies is the universal apps. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to write once or at least mostly once and get multiple devices is really attracting these larger companies. Um, a lot of them are willing to develop the desktop app and they want the phone app as well, but they don't want to build a, an entire new app. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, if, if these companies are starting to see things a little different where they're sort of adding together the, the market share of windows phone and windows eight together, you know, tablets, desktops, phones, you sort of add that whole market share together and you take that and, and now you start comparing that to iOS and Android and it, and it starts to, it starts to level it out a little bit more because it, it used to not be clear, right? You you really had four platforms previously. You had iOS, Android. Uh, most of these companies are already running Windows on their desktop, so they had to deal with that. And then Windows Phone was really like this other thing. So they had four categories, and the the numbers, you know, weren't were were really low for the Windows Phone portion. You know, just statistically speaking. Yeah, especially when you look at it. I mean, a lot of these companies are already .NET shops. They already understand C Sharp and VB. Mm -hmm. So for them to keep on going with their current skill set, they don't have to really retrain a lot of employees anymore to um, support these uh, paradigms because the new Windows Phone 8.1 model is pretty much the same as the Windows Store model. Okay. So you don't have to retrain. You don't have to understand, well, what's the the Windows Phone Silverlight version right. nuances compared to everything else. Right, they, right. They literally are the same uh, lifecycle models. Yeah, what's, what's interesting, whenever I talk to these partners and these these various companies, anytime I start talking about uh, BYOD, they start mentioning, um, you know, well, there's still a lot of companies out there that, that dictate the device. And, and whenever I talk to partners and, and start telling them that, then they start talking BYOD. So I'm curious what the actual mix is these days. I guess there's 
there's obviously companies are seeing a shift over to um, BYOD, but I, I'm curious what the breakdown is right now and where that's going to be in you know X number of years. Yeah, and I think that's really going to be changing too with the um, the trend for people uh, wanting cheaper and cheaper devices, as well as these devices becoming cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Windows Phone is ha- has a great story for really low end devices that have really good um, just usage. Um, I mean, they don't feel like cheap devices. Yeah. Uh, Android has a little bit of that. And iPhone, there is no low-end story to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I was talking to somebody just this week. He had a he had an iPhone. He ended up breaking the screen. He went out and he bought the, uh, the Nokia Lumia 521. And when you start looking at the pricing, I mean, it's $600 versus $60. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a 10th of the price. It's just amazing. And, and he said to me, he's like, you know what? He's like, this thing is pretty much just as good. And you know, that's really the low end, you know, had he been using a 1520, you know, I I think he would have said, Hey, this thing's better than my iPhone. So for a 10th of the price being pretty much good enough, I mean, that, that makes it, yeah, like, you know, I I think that makes it a lot easier for, for companies to, to just hand those out. And I think a lot of people are, are, are starting to look at that device saying, you know what, I'm, you know, I have a tendency to break my device. Insurance is expensive. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, a, I, I just can't get over the the price of that device. I'm just, I'm just still in awe. Especially with all the services that are baked in. Right. I was recently working with uh, somebody um, uh, at a place that I was working at. They were having a photocopier that was being fixed and I was working with him. And he had mentioned that he wished that he had a certain file. It was on his other phone that he had just broken. Mm-hmm. And then I had mentioned that, you know, Windows Phone has OneDrive built in and I just keep all of my files on there so I can access them from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned to him, well, you could use Google Docs like that. And he's like, well, you got to set that up. And and just because there's that little bit of stuff that you have to do, yep. he didn't. How many people aren't going to learn to do that? Whereas yeah, yeah exactly. that's just built in otherwise. Yeah, this is going on a little bit of a tangent, but I had I had somebody on Facebook, they they had posted kind of a comparison between Google Docs and OneDrive, and I could tell that they were they were trying to sort of make up their minds, you know, with these file sharing services and uh, or these um, you know, document handling services. I, I'm not quite sure what what to call them, but uh, just because the the you know the features of them are so drastically different. But the the article he posted, uh, in that one it, it sounded like, you know, Google Drive uh, one by a little bit. And then I started chatting with him and I said, well, you know, in, in the, the newer version, you know, if you're, if you're running Windows 8.1, as an example, OneDrive is actually integrated. So now um, I, I said one of the greatest features is that you can have, let's say your computer has uh, just, just throwing out numbers, 100 gigabytes of, of hard drive space. You can actually have 200 gigs of files in your OneDrive, which... I have, I think, 240 gigs now because you can get free space, like, you know, just by doing just about anything. It's really easy to get, you know, free space on these things. Yeah, I got and, 100 gigs just by doing some Bing searches. Yeah, exactly. It pretty much gets handed out like candy if you know where to look. And uh, so I told him, I said, that that's, that's the beautiful part about it because those files will show up as being on your computer, but it's intelligently cached. It's really just an intelligent cache. So the, the files that you use often are actually going to reside on the machine, or you can even manually go in there and say, Hey, these files are important to me. Make sure that I always have them on my hard drive. And then the other ones show up as being there. And whenever you need them, it'll just pull them down dynamically and cache them. And I, I think that that's really the, the, the killer feature versus these other ones. And I, I don't think it was marketed well because it, it was marketed as, you know, uh, good one or one better one drive integration in windows. But uh, I, I think we could definitely tell a better story around how, you know, how useful that actually is in, in the, you know, real day-to-day usage. Yeah. Now, either way, um, there's a lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies are looking at uh, what the story is with Windows Phone 8.1. And it sounds like uh, there's a, a lot of potential good news coming from that front. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's also, um, you know, security implications there, right? So... Uh, Windows Phone is encrypted by default. A lot of companies like that, and I know, I know, in Windows Phone eight, and I think Windows Phone seven, and sort of that lineage, the the enterprise features were were ignored for a long time. Um, other than some of the things, like I said, like the device encryption, which was baked in, I think some of those things were ignored for a while uh, because you know the consumer experience was being chased. But um, I, I think what's what you're seeing now is the enterprise features are are passing everybody else up, and and really that was what 
I think that's what the other care or the other um, companies are really worried about, you know, like Apple and, and Android, because that that's how we, you know, that's how we get in, right? That, you know, the companies want these enterprise features. That's why BlackBerry was popular for so long. And that's, that just helps you get your, get your foot in the door, um, you know, with, with security. And then, and then people start to love the platform for the other, all the other great reasons. So should we move on to tech ed? Yep. So that's really, so tech ed is really the big news of the week. So I, I put together a super post here and we'll put it in the, the show notes, but I have uh, sort of a rundown of every, every big announcement that, that, that I'm interested in, or I thought was kind of big news. Um, it, it is developer focused. There's probably some things that are it pro related that were, that was announced. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I either didn't quite understand or, you know, they just weren't, they just wasn't quite my cup of tea. So I, again, I have sort of a developer focused list of, of, uh, uh, tech ed items out of my blog at ytechie.com. So l- first let's, let's run through a list of new services. There's lots of good stuff out here and Carl, feel free to chime in on, on any of these, but the, the first one, and I actually noticed, um, I noticed this one pretty early Monday morning and people seem to be pretty excited about this. So windows seven and windows 8.1 virtual machines are now available in Azure for your MSDN subscription. So again, Windows 7 and Windows 8.1 isn't licensed for for use like in production. Um, it, there, it is through a feature that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but um, the for for dev test scenarios underneath your MSDN, you can actually see these images and, and create them. So if you if you want to do some testing on Windows 7 or on Windows 8.1, um, I even think you could run you know Visual Studio or or something like that on there if you have your if you have the MSDN account. I think it's yeah. all legit to use it for that. Yeah. Now, to to be a little bit more clear about this too, in the past, uh, Azure has been pretty open to running nearly whatever operating system that you wanted up there, yep. with the restriction that it had to be a server OS. So uh, with this, well, yeah. so so that's that's actually not technically true. So so Azure was always happy to run Windows Seven and eight point one. It's Windows itself where the licensing did not allow it. So just a, sort of a different variation of what you said. Right. Because I knew that you could put them up there in your own VMs, but I thought Mm -hmm. that in order, or one of the big things is that, at least in the wording that I've seen, they always mentioned server OS in regards to the VMs images that were available. Yeah. And that, and that, like I said, that's because of the, the licensing, licensing restriction in the, in the actual windows license. It's not an Azure license restriction. It's a windows license restriction. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because either way you weren't allowed to run them. Um, but, but the point is now, I think there's, I think there's, there must be an, some kind of exception or, uh, you know, I don't know if there's a different type of license being used here, but again, for just for dev test, you're able to use those, which is, which is nice because, you know, I don't necessarily want, I, I don't see a good reason to use those in production, but definitely for, uh, you know, the, the, they work great for testing scenarios. Um, if you just want to, you know, create some windows seven machines, cause I, like I don't have any windows seven machines anymore. So being able to create those and do testing on them is is pretty huge for me. Mm-hmm. Next up, uh, there's a public preview of Azure files. So this one is this one is really interesting. So this lets you use your storage account. It's basically a layer on top of an Azure storage account that exposes it as an SMB share. So for those that 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 aren't familiar with SMB shares, it's basically a standard Windows file share. So you can access, you know, this SMB share in a number of virtual machines. So it gives you that, that shared, uh, you know, mapped storage. So this would be just like having on a NAS on a, on a local network where a whole bunch of machines can access it. And this is really designed for, um, you know, fork lifting in applications. So this is applications that, that have to use a file system. You can bring those up to Azure. Now, ideally, you know, if you're developing an application, you want to hit directly against blob storage because you're going to get some advantages there. You know, there's anytime there's, you know, sort of a translation layer on top of something else, you're going to get a little bit of a performance impact, but this is, you know, in, in this case there, there's not a, there's not a huge performance hit. And it, like I said, it's going to work for, for legacy applications, but I really like the example of, uh, you know, SQL 2014. So in SQL 2014, instead of using files in, in your actual database server, you can actually 
use blob storage as sort of your backend store for your database. I, I wasn't sure if you had seen that or not, Carl. No, I hadn't. Yeah. So I, I think it's just a really good example of taking an existing application and, you know, hooking it up to a cloud-based service. And it's obviously optional. It's whenever you create the database, instead of saying, you know, put it on C slash DB slash my database, right? You say, I want to, I want to put it into a storage account and here's the, you know, here's the blob name and all that, that type of information. And, and what that does is that, that gives you that, that allows the application to have a native connection to that Azure service and really take advantage of it. So this is definitely an exciting feature. Um, and I think it's going to enable, you know, a lot of, uh, applications that, you know, this was, this was holding back some applications. I know at least one partner I was working with, uh, they were asking for this just cause they have a third party application that has to source some files like this. And they, they want to make sure that it has, uh, you know, that it's a, uh, replicated store and, um, that it can be accessed from multiple machines. So that this one's actually pretty huge for people. Next up, um, partnerships with Trend Micro and Symantec to provide anti-malware solutions. So this is, you know, anti-malware for, for Azure. I'm not really going to dive into that one, but I know a lot of people were waiting for that one. Uh, internal load balancing of virtual machines with private addresses. So this feature lets, lets you, you know, previously what you would do is you would set up a cloud service and you could have a number of virtual machines or web roles behind that cloud service. And it would have a single public endpoint and what you would do is you could set up, let's say, you know, two web servers behind that public endpoint. And as you're hitting that public endpoint, it's load balancing between those machines on the back end. A lot of people were, were actually jumping through some crazy hoops to, to, to use that load balancer outside of that context. They wanted to use the, the load balancer without a public endpoint. So that, that is finally supported today. Uh, another one is multiple site to site, uh, virtual network connections. So this is the ability to, um, you know, you used to be able to have Azure sort of dial out to your local facility and talk to, talk to a router or windows server 2012 R2. It could, it could VPN into your, your location and, and sort of bridge your, your local network with your Azure network. And what this lets you do is you can actually take, you know, if you have multiple locations, uh, multiple facilities, they, it can actually VPN into multiple. That way the traffic, you know, from each of them doesn't have to, it can actually, you know, if they're, if, if each of those locations are trying to talk to Azure, they can just talk direct to Azure. They don't have to get routed through each other. So, you know, you're taking advantage of shorter network paths there. Uh, cross data center, virtual network connectivity. I know, uh, this one was pretty huge. A lot of people were asking for this one. So this is the ability to take multiple Azure virtual networks and, um, have those things talk to each other. So you can actually talk, you know, between data centers. Um, you can have, you know, even multiple virtual networks locally and have those, those virtual networks actually talk to each other. And that was important for, um, applications. Like if you had, um, you know, like a Cassandra database or some other type of distributed database. And what you wanted to do was you wanted to have multiple nodes spread out between different data centers so that if there was an issue at one data center, it would, the, the database would actually automatically stay running at the other one. It was just sort of one big database over multiple data centers. Um, another feature here, uh, IP reservation of VIP. So this is pretty cool. So this is this is really like Amazon's, you know, elastic IPs where you could, you know, Amazon has had this for a long time where you can go in there and you can say, Hey, give me an IP address. And you don't even have to assign it to anything. You can just say, I'd like to take an IP address by itself. And then what you can do after the fact is, is assign that in, in Azure, you can reserve that and then you can assign it to cloud services. And I think there's some other services that you can assign that, that to dynamically. So you can point it at uh, one cloud service and then move it over to a different one in the future if you want. Um, and I know if you actually compare this side by side compared to Amazon's elastic IPs, there's, there's some additional features. Um, the next one is instance level IP addresses. So, you know, like I was talking about earlier, you could have a cloud service and you'd have multiple virtual machines inside of that cloud service. And you, you a cloud service really works kind of like your, your network at home, right? You have, you have your router. And then you have multiple machines in your network. So you have sort of the in, you have the, the gateway, and then you have all the machines inside of your network. So 
you know, that, that works, that works pretty good for most applications because everybody just hits that public endpoint and then just sort of gets routed to the internal machines. But what this lets you do is actually expose individual virtual machines out through that, uh, you know, out with its own public IP address, uh, without having to go through that cloud service endpoint. So that, that, that one is pretty huge for some people, uh, people who wanted to, for example, have a secure outbound port, you know, think like port, port 443, but they, they had uh, multiple nodes with different endpoint, you know, with the same endpoint that they wanted to expose. So this, this now lets you do that. Uh, next one up, I found this one really fascinating. Uh, Azure Remote App. Did you want to talk about this one a little bit, Carl? Yeah, I, I had a chance to play with this one a little bit at, at, least, with the, at least with the client side. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm still waiting to... Uh, get the preview edition of the developer side of this. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool about this is uh, from the from a user's perspective, if they need to run like some sort of work a- application or something, you would open up the remote app application and sign into it with um, your work credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use a Microsoft account too as well. And any application that has been shared out to you by IT, it would... Uh, behind the scenes, open up a remote desktop services and you would access that app on your machine um, as if, and it would look and feel just like we're a native application, mm-hmm. but it would be coming from the cloud. So if there was a, a custom application that you needed to get your job done, um, you would open it up. Um, right now, if you download that application, um, they're letting you use Word, Excel, and PowerPoint and uh, it just takes a few seconds for it to uh, make that connection and open it up. And once it is, it feels like an absolutely native app. Yeah. Now, now what's cool about it is from uh, the deployment side, you can either have it hosted entirely in the cloud in Azure, or you could have a hybrid ap- approach where Azure still has to know about your app and um, who can have access to it, but you can have uh, that app located on-premises. Okay. So, um, at, at least for the cloud-hosted one, um, you upload it into the remote app uh, section of Azure and um, assign it to uh, either a user or a group uh, through Azure Active Directory, and that person then has access to it. Mm-hmm. it it's really three steps to get going. Um, four steps if you already don't have Azure Active Directory uh, set up. Okay. So, um, it... It looks very simple to implement, and uh, it works really well. Uh, I was able to play with it and tried to, you know, bog them down a bit, and I had no problem using them whatsoever. Okay, yeah, I fired up uh, PowerPoint because I figured that would be the the most intensive of the applications, just because there's you know huge graphics. Because my experience with these with you know the remote desktop protocol is that it. I think it's dynamically figuring out what type of content it's looking at. So, you know, if you have a, a window that is just showing files in Explorer, as an example, I think it uses one type of compression and, you know, it looks absolutely flawless and you can kind of move a window around. And mm-hmm. then whenever you're running, you know, something that has a photo in it, sometimes that photo will slow down because it has to use a different type of compression. So that's why I picked PowerPoint. And yeah, what I noticed was that it would, um, you know, some, sometimes with some of the larger graphics, it would just take a, a moment longer. But again, I think this is meant, the, you know, I don't think this is meant as, uh, you know, necessarily replacing every app on your computer. But even even if, you know, I, I felt that that was the experience I got on that was probably the worst I would ever get. And it was still completely usable. So it, it's, it's, it was actually really impressive. I even went into present, presenter mode. And it used both of my monitors and I had the presenter view on one screen and the actual presentation on the other. So I was really, really impressed. And there was no way to tell that it was not a native application running on my computer. Yeah. One of the things I'm really excited for is uh, right now when I do work remotely, I, I use the Citrix to do it where it just mm-hmm. you know streams in your entire desktop. Yeah. What's nice is you really don't need all of that extra stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can just stream the apps in that you need, and what's cool is if you need more than one, it actually shares the same remote desktop service. So mm-hmm. it, you're not pulling, you know, uh, extra resources. It it really does a lot to optimize your bandwidth and your memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could use this for something like Visual Studio and conceivably do development with this, which I, I think is pretty cool because I've been trying to do that for years. And, 
it's always been a little clunky and then you get to deal with a remote desktop window. So, yep. you know, this just, this just gets rid of the issue with window, window management. So that, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. And I, when I went to uh, the build where they gave out the surface RTs, mm-hmm. uh, I've been waiting for a way to find, have some way to remotely develop that isn't a pain. Now, if uh, we're allowed to uh, put visual studio as one of these remote apps, that could be really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So you have, you know, sort of a, a low powered device that, that works fine for, for real basic consumption, you know, reading emails, sending emails, um, it, you know, that thing will even run office on it, but you, and it also has, you know, a pretty decent browser, but what you can't do on it is run something really heavy like visual studio, nor would you want to, because, you know, visual studio, it's a beast. Yeah. It's, it's going to drain your battery. Um, you know, you got to deal with kind of synchronization between multiple devices. So if you could sort of share that, I mean, one of my biggest complaints with, um, you know, I think visual studio has gotten much better with this and distributed source control has really helped, but just the kind of the sharing of state, right. I want to, I want to be working in visual studio on my desktop. Then I want to, I want to go on the road. I want to show up somewhere else and I want to fire up visual studio and have it be exactly where I was, you know, with access to the, the same files that I had. And, uh, this, this will enable those types of scenarios, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah. I think this is going to be one of the bigger, uh, stories that enterprises will latch onto because there's a lot of cases where you have that, you know, you want the thin client, uh, you know, style of, um, giving stuff to your, uh, users. Plus you still want that control on who gets what, Mm -hmm. um, there's also ways where you can have, uh, with this multiple versions of the same app and you can say, well, this kind of person gets this version of the app uh, and this one gets a newer version and so on and so forth. So there's a lot uh, already built into it, even though this is a fairly new uh, offering from uh, Microsoft. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, this has been rumored for a long time and I, I think the reason for that, the reason that it's taken so long is those scenarios have been well thought through. At least that, that's, that's what I hope. Um, and then I don't know if you saw the, the tech ed video, but they were, actually demoing this on an iPad. I, I'm not even sure if they demoed it on a computer, but they demoed it on, demoed it on an iPad. And there was just a, a button in the iPad app that let them switch between applications. And it, it was actually pretty, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, pretty seamless. They were able to jump back and forth between some of the office apps. And then they even had things like notepad and calculator from windows. Now it's kind of a made up example, but you know, you could imagine visual studio on there and, uh, um, you know, I guess the the only issue on the iPad is lack of a mouse, but you could conceivably be uh, writing code, you know, with your keyboard in Visual Studio on an iPad. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Anything else on the remote app? Should we no, move on? I, yeah, let's move on. Okay, so next up from TechEd, uh, there's a public preview now of API management. And this one's pretty exciting. So if you recall, there was a, a company that Microsoft bought, um, I think, I don't know if it was a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago. It was called Epiphany. And what they did was API management. So it was just sort of a matter of time before this uh, reappeared. So, uh, you know, API management, if you're not familiar with it, gets you things like analytics. You can do throttling on on web services so that if if somebody's just hitting a a service too much, a particular API, uh, you can you can start to slow them down or just restrict access for a while. You can also do things like caching so that if somebody you know, if you designate certain method calls with certain parameters, you can you can actually have that be cached outside of your application, which I think is pretty neat. And then this thing comes with a whole bunch of, you know, it's basically a permission-based system so that you're setting up different types of users so you can have, you know, public un- and unauthenticated users, but then you could have other users that you're able to identify in different buckets that maybe have paid for your API and they could, they could be, you know, subjected to different throttling or not throttling limits, but they could have you know, they could be allowed a different number of API calls. So as an example, the the general public, you could allow them to make five API calls per minute. And if, if you're, you know, in a certain tier of applicant or of a customer, you could make, you know, a hundred calls per minute. And then you could have another tier where it's unlimited. Um, so it's kind of neat. It, it doesn't add a whole lot of latency to your, to your APIs. So it's worth it to put this on top of it for a lot of these, these, um, uh, these benefits that you get. And I, I think if you can utilize something like caching, that's pretty huge because you could actually, um, even though you're, you're slowing down all of your calls by, you know, let's say 10 milliseconds or so you are, you know, through the use of caching and maybe some of these heavier calls, you could actually have a net positive benefit where 
overall the the calls to your API actually take you know less time. And then the analytics are really nice where you can actually do all the tracking of that and see who's hitting your API, what kind of performance they're seeing. It shows you the the performance between them and the between the customer and the API and then also the 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 you know the API management and the backend API. So you can start to figure out where your bottlenecks are and figure out where performance issues are. So it's it's pretty it's pretty full featured. It's pretty impressive. So that's in public preview right now. Uh, also in public preview now, we support the uh, Redis cache. So you can you can go out and create one of these and use this instead of the um, the um, other caching option. So this is in addition to the to the new manage cache option that that came out I think a few months ago. Um, so the old shared caching service is going to end up being retired in September, uh, but customers should have you know switched over to the managed cache or switch over to Redis. Both of those are pretty good options, and for for a lot of people, it's pre actually pretty easy to swap out your cache. So this is for you know if you're running an ASP.NET application and you're using the built-in cache functionality, it's actually pretty easy to swap in a different cache provider as long as they have you know as long as they fit into the provider model. So uh, it should be, you know, fairly easy, even if you're on the the old caching service to swap in this new one and then just use that that standard, you know, cache interface that's provided from ASP.NET. And Redis also is is really good for, uh, you know, other types of applications. So if you have like a Java application or any other type of language, this is pretty universal out there. So this is just, you know, a, a, a sort of a generic caching service that that a lot of people lot of applications are going to be able to tie into. Uh, next one is they're in public preview now or the BizTalk hybrid connections. So I actually talked to the folks that that, that came up with this one and I, I was hoping that this one would ha be, have a different name. I was hoping it would not be under the, the, the BizTalk title <laughs> just because BizTalk has, you know, I think it just has a, a certain reputation with people. And um, so so what, what this is, this lets you, uh, this is pretty neat and you can use it by itself as well. So what this lets you do is communicate with existing services. So you can actually have a website set up and let's say it needs to talk to uh, a local database that's, you know, still installed, you know, on premises. What you can do instead of setting up a, a VPN connection, you can actually install an agent next to that database, which will make an outbound connection and it will, um, um, you know, it will piggyback over that connection to talk to that database. Does my audio sound okay, Carl? Hey, you're starting to break yeah, up no, just a little no, bit. Let me let me change something real quick. There, is that better? Yeah, I'll just leave that that portion turned off. <laughs> uh, so up next, uh, the ability now you have the ability to capture. Uh, capture images in Azure uh, of virtual machines with your operating system and the data drives attached. So previously, whenever you took an image of a, of a machine, it was just the machine itself. It wouldn't take an image of all the, the drives that were attached. So this now lets you basically t you know, capture a snapshot of, of the whole thing. So a lot, of, a lot of people were asking for that type of functionality. It's also pretty interesting that it also works on stop machines as well. I think that's pretty powerful. It, well, so the other one always worked on the stop machines. This works on the running machines too. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you before you you were actually forced. My understanding, well, there was there was a way to get around it, but in many cases you actually had to stop the machine to take a take an image. This one you can actually do while it's running. Uh, the challenge here is is getting a consistent. Uh, image since it's it could be running and and there's things in memory and so I, I haven't played around with this yet I'm, I'm anxious to play around with it to see you know what the official guidance is going to be as far as you know are, are you able to use this for for some type of type of backup capability or is this really just for for dev tests being able to roll back to previous uh, you know previous spots I, I suspect that that that's really the the key scenario there Next up, uh, this one is actually pretty huge for anybody who has an enterprise agreement. So previously, whenever you had an enterprise agreement for your Azure subscription, you you know you get a discount on an enterprise agreement, and it's based on the the size of the agreement. And whenever you whenever you're in an Azure subscription under an enterprise agreement, and you would try to you know use something out of the Azure store. So let's say it was like SendGrid, or um, Man, I can't even think of the other ones that are in. There's some database options in there. ClearDB, I think, is one of them as an example. 
you you weren't able to use those, it would just pop up a message saying, hey, you can't do this because the subscription belongs to an EA account. And it was because of the the discounting on there. So now there's actually store support for the for the for the EA customers. So now, you know, any EA customer that goes in there and tries to use something out of that store is not going to have an issue anymore. So I think, you know, for a, for a small group of people, that's actually pretty huge. Um, and then the last one here, and I, I figure you might have a, a comment on this one. There was a, there was a big update to the, to the windows eight store. Did you see this one? Yeah, I, I saw the announcement. I mm-hmm. actually, however, have not actually gone into the store since this has been updated. Okay. Yeah. I have a link to, you know, Paul Therat. He kind of did a walkthrough of it. So on my, on this, this, uh, tech ed post, I have a link to that so that you can check out the screenshot. So obviously you could just go do it on your device too and take a look at it, but it sounds like it was a, a pretty massive cleanup and, and reorganization of, of what the, the front end of that store looks like. Yeah. I, I'm pretty excited about this because one, it, it was pretty hard to find explicit things that you're looking for in the store. Even if you knew exactly what you're looking for, a lot of times yeah. it can be hard to find that. Yeah. The other the other thing that's really nice is now that you have um, apps that can be on the uh, Windows Store and the Windows Phone Store, it allows you uh, to access the other version a little bit more easily now. So once you go into the store on 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 Windows here, if there's a phone version, um, th- um, there's a UI element you can click on, and it'll take you right to the Windows Phone Store, so you can check it out there as well. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. that's that. Yeah, that's that's really nice. I didn't. I didn't even think through that scenario. You know, I usually just jump over to my phone, but if that's in there, that's pretty slick. Yeah. Um, in this case, it's called a linked app. So you can link okay. to another one of your apps. Okay. And uh, one of the things that you can do with this is if you pay for one, you can allow for the other one to be free right. with this feature. Okay. That's pretty neat. Um, and then up next, so at TechEd, so I talked about a lot of the new services and a lot of those are, are in preview, you know, they're in public preview. So you can go check out some of those. Some of those require you to go in and actually request access to the preview. Uh, but this next one, so this next group is actually services now that have been out, but they, they've just gone uh, general availability and there were, you know, some other, some various other changes here. So one of them is the the A8 and A9 machines, and those are available now on the uh, for the virtual machines. So they they were originally just PaaS options. So they were really for the for the HPC, the big data type scenarios, and now those are opened up for for um, standard virtual machines as well. And those are those are GA. So an A8 gives you eight cores and 56 gigs of RAM. A9 gives you 16 cores and 112 gigs of RAM. And the other nice thing about these, these are actually Intel uh, processors. So they, that, that, what that gives you is this InfiniBand network. So it gives you this uh, super high performance, low latency uh, InfiniBand network. And, and honestly, I haven't worked with any applications that require this, but there's some applications that are able to take advantage of that high-speed network. Uh, another service that went uh, GA is the Azure Import-Export. So this is one where you can actually uh, bitlock or protect a a hard drive and then send it into Azure, you know, so that you don't have to upload a whole bunch of files. They'll hook it up and then you go into the console and you you put in your BitLocker key and it will give you access to, to that machine. Um, and then last of the services that went GA, uh, Azure Cache Service. So this is the, you know, the managed cache service. So this is one that will, this is a super high performance, you know, cache service that's built right on top of, uh, right on top of Azure. And then in the next section here, so we have uh, Visual Studio updates. There were a lot of uh, neat updates here. So one of the big ones was Visual Studio 2013 update two just went RTM. So you can go grab that again. We'll have a, a link to that off of my blog post and uh, and you'll, you'll be able to find that blog post in the show notes. But if you go go and download that, install it, I've already installed it on my machines. It's It's got some, some interesting things. So there's a uh, there's a post that Scott Hanselman did, and he kind of did a, a walkthrough. So for a for a you know a detailed walkthrough, I'd recommend going out to his site. But some interesting things about it: it is uh, cloud and server optimized. So there's actually some some specific optimizations there for when it's running on on the cloud and whenever it's running on the server. So I think there's there's been a lot of pieces that have been trimmed out and a lot of things that have been rewritten that are specifically designed for increasing performance in this this cloud environment. There's also a no compile developer experience. 
And I know we talked about this one before the show, Carl. So this one lets you, you know, have an ASP.NET website where you put some code in there and without, without it compiling, you can actually go and browse it. So this is similar to like how PHP and Node.js work. So you just, when you're developing, you just refresh your browser and exactly. then you get all the updates without yep. having to compile. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember previously one way that we would kind of get around some of that is you'd still have to build, but you, I mean, you'd set up IIS fully locally, just like you would on the server. And then you were able to refresh, but you still had to build, mm-hmm. um, you know, you yeah, know, and this cuts this cuts that down even even further because a lot of times when you get bigger enterprise applications, I mean, you can have you know, you know, several minutes to build if if it's pretty substantial. Right, and anytime you can just help developers iterate faster and faster, you know, where you're you make a code change and you can see that immediately. That's that's always a huge huge advantage. And and it also reduces the you know setup time of your development environment as well because if you don't if you don't have to go through all of those workarounds, that's Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this was interesting too. So the the entire runtime now is going to be available through NuGet. So and this is this is pretty cool for ASP.NET. So the, a lot of things were you know the things that we're talking here around ASP.NET. These are these are all in you know sort of a future version of ASP.NET. And uh, so what you'll be able to do with the with the actual .NET runtime is grab that through a NuGet package. So you're your application can actually have a dependency on a particular version of .NET, and you can pull .NET in with it. So that one is that one is really interesting. So you could have, you know, two different applications on your machine, both using a different version of .NET, and that version of .NET is actually isolated to that folder, you know, to that application itself. So that one, that one I find really fascinating. So you can you can sort of do that today with uh, things like Node.js, where you actually put the executable in the folder. And you get that version of Node.js along with it, and that's that's pretty handy in in many cases, because that that's really what that gives you is that it gives you that bin copy deployment option. So for all of the all of the things in ASP.NET v Next, this the source is actually all available out on GitHub. This is all open source, and you can actually go out there and look at it today. So again, we'll have a we'll have a link to that one, but you can go out there and and start you know, giving feedback on, on what they're working on, which I I think is pretty neat. And then in Visual Studio, one thing that was announced was uh, tooling support for Cordova. So what this lets you do is, you know, the Cordova is a platform. It's, it's like a phone gap where you can build cross-platform HTML and JavaScript applications. But now there's, there's tooling support built right into Visual Studio, which makes this a lot easier. So that was pretty much it for TechEd updates. It was, you know, that was sort of the the giant high-level list. And again, I have links to, to let you drill into any of those specifically that you're interested in, but we wanted to just give you an update of anything that we thought would affect, uh, you know, the developer experience. Yeah, there was a lot of big things, especially around Azure. I mean, uh, yeah. they, they have an amazing cadence the way it was, but there were some really big bombs. I, I don't think anybody predicted the ASP.NET vNext stuff that came out. Yeah, that one came. That one came as a surprise to me too. I, I actually hadn't heard anything about that. I I don't follow, you know, ASP.NET, uh, you know, itself very closely, but it's it's really neat to see a lot of activity in that space. I I think, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start watching that a little bit closer. I I didn't expect such a kind of a core change in how they're they're building and designing everything. I think that's really exciting. I really think a lot of what uh, they have done over the last quite a few years even has really permeated how the rest of the company is starting to look at things with um, how progressive they've been with going to open source and um, just be developer accessible in those areas. Definitely. So, you know, somebody had to do it first, but now, yeah, like you said, that that opens up the the gates for everybody else. So very, very interesting. So, Carl, what do you got for the app of the week? So um, previously on... Windows Phone 8 and Windows Phone 7, um, there was the ability that you could uh, go and share something. Um, one of the options is was uh, social networks. And uh, with just that quick couple of taps, you could share something out to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn mm-hmm. all at once at the exact same time. Well, in 8.1, that's gone now. And it's really upset quite a few people. But this week's app of the week is something to replace that. So um, there will be a link in the uh, show notes, but it's called Multi-Social Share. It's uh, okay. also happens to be a universal app, so it's available for Windows 
store as well as the phone. So when you hit the share um, option now, you can just select multi-social share. And um, when you first download the app, you'll set up all of your social networks Mm-hmm. and including what your default is. So if you want to set up Facebook, but not necessarily have that be there by default, you can do that. Oh, this looks pretty nice. It looks, it's really simple, but it looks like it's, you know, it's pretty slick. It is. And it, it gives you back that functionality that was lost. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, so, uh, I believe either supports or will support uh, additional social networks other than those three that were there. Okay. So um, anybody who's missing out on that, um, Go and download multi-social share and mm-hmm. uh, a really quick way to uh, get all of your social networks at once. So when I'm in Windows 8 and I actually hit the share button, so this will just show up in that list. I pick that and then yep. it will give me options on which ones to share it with. Yep. It'll have you type in okay. your message. And then if you want to select additional ones or remove a few, it's a really quick interface to do that. That's nice. That's nice. I didn't even realize that was in Windows 8 and got removed. I would have used that if I would have known it was there. <laughs> yep. Okay. I think that's uh, anything else, Carl. I think that's all we have for this week. Yep, that was the biggest thing. Yeah. It's good to get that rundown. Yep. Definitely. So uh, uh, let's talk about uh, some plugs for the show. So you can find us at msdevshow.com. You can send us feedback at uh, feedback at msdevshow.com. And like I mentioned earlier, if you if you want a sticker, go ahead and, and retweet something that we tweeted out from the MS Dev Show account, and then send us an email with a link to that tweet, and we'll make sure that you get a sticker. Um, once once we get the the big batch of them in, we'll uh, we'll make sure that you get uh, at least one of the uh, one of each design. So make sure that you do that. Uh, I so I'm Jason Young. You can find me on ytechie.com. On Twitter, you can find me at ytechie that's twitter.com slash ytechie that's y-t-e-c-h-i-e and now one thing i did want to mention is that i will be speaking at the iot world in uh it's in palo alto and that's in uh, mid-june so that'll be interesting i'll be on a on a panel actually talking about industry and the internet of things you know this whole boom that's going on right now so that'll that should be some interesting discussion so if anybody is is in the area there, uh, send me a message. Might be able to meet up. Otherwise, go to IoT World and and hear me talk about IoT and industry. Carl, yep, uh, you can find me at Carl Schweitzer on Twitter or at wpdevguy.com. <laughs>